is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Programme. Well now, what acres of delight are we preparing to spread with the manure of titillation for your satisfaction and delight this evening? Well, first on our menu of joviality... I'm not sure those are the two best metaphors to be mixing, um, is another episode of our one constant in a world gone decidedly mad, slumber time stories. But before all that, we enter the never-ending purgatory that is the listener's telephone-in quiz. Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Where you can win up to three British shillings by guessing what it is that I'm describing. In a rhyming format, that is. Anyway, I'm sure you know the drill by now. <sighs> so do go right ahead and dial in. Oh, well now, that's something. Perhaps someone is actually paying attention to what I say for a change. Although the odds on it just being a member of my immediate family are pretty high. Ahoy hoy! This is Theodore speaking. Good day to you, listener. Are you prepared to play... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Uh, good day to you, Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb. Yes, I am. What, really? Yes, I am prepared to play. I have listened to every single one of your shows, except when I had to go to hospital for an operation I'm not prepared to discuss. When I missed... One episode. I can only apologise for this lax behaviour. Goodness me. So is it safe to say you're an actual listener? Well, please do tell me your name. Oh, my name is Brian Archibald Rupert Miles Yosemite Rhubarb. <laughs> no, not really. I just added the rhubarb bit on for fun. My friend calls me Barmy. I don't know why. Although you can be my friend too and call me Barmy as well, if you like. Um, well, Brian, that's certainly not a name to be laughed at. Now then, since we've never actually had a listener call the show before, perhaps we might find out a bit about you. How long have you been a fan? Well, I wouldn't really call myself a fan. I don't find your shows especially enjoyable, and I did miss one when I was in hospital, as I think I've already mentioned. But apart from that, I have listened right from your first broadcast on Jeopardy and Icing. That was probably your best radio output that I've listened to anyway, and I have pretty much listened to all of it. Uh, it was also the very first thing of note that I was on. Come now. I'm sure not everything since then was terrible. Yes, it mostly has been. Are they planning to bring that show back? As I think I mentioned, I enjoyed that one the most. Mm, well, thank you for that vote of confidence. Um, sadly, no. Since the great spotted Bonoffi dick pie incident, I'm afraid that boat has rather sailed. Unlike the new Albion Navy, huh? <laughs> Yes, very funny. It was, wasn't it? I have a lot of good radio banter, you know. 
Perhaps you should consider having me on every week. No. Now then. Oh, go on. Sorry, but it's a hard no from me. Now... Well, perhaps I could stand in for you if something unfortunate were to happen to you. Is that a threat? No, don't worry. I know all the important things to say. Pretend to be a telephone. Do what? Pretend to be a telephone. Why? I'm going to pretend to be me, standing in for you. I'd really rather you didn't. Don't worry, I'll do it. I'm very talented in that way. A ring, ring. A ring, ring. A ring, ring. What are you doing? I'm pretending to be a telephone so that I can answer it. I'm not very good at doing the noise of the receiver being lifted, though, so we'll probably just have to imagine that bit. A ring, ring. A ring, ring. Are you planning to do this for long? Well, now, I've listened to all your radio telephone-in quizzes, and it seems to me that, on average, you let it ring for three and three-quarter times. A ring, ring. How many is that now? I really haven't been counting. Oh. Should I start again? For the love of God, no. Please just get to whatever comes after the telephone ringing. Yes, good idea. Well, then I pick up the telephone. It makes a kind of clicking noise. Um, click. No, no, that's not quite right. Clack. Uh, Cluck. It sounds adequate to me. Please, please do move on. Does it? Oh, well, if you say so. You are the expert, and I am merely your favourite listener. Um, I didn't say you were my favourite listener. Oh. Am I your second favourite listener? (laughs) Yes, fine. Move on. Oh, really? I'm number two? (laughs) Oh, good. Well, then, I say... This is the Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Brian speaking, uh, instead of Theodore. Uh, Good day to you, listener. Are you ready to play? Can you guess what it is that I am describing? Yes, well, very good, I'm sure. Uh, Now, perhaps we can move on. No. What? No. You should now say whether you are prepared to play. Can you guess what it is that I am describing or not? Well, no. I think that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Oh, go on. I wrote some clues. Here's one, for example. I'm brown and sticky a lot, although I am a stick. Not. Oh, just shoot me now. No? All right, well, here's the second clue. I'm something in the water closet that you do, and I rhyme with shoe. Oh, please stop. Well, actually, I don't have a third clue for that one. I expect you can probably guess it from just those two. Shall I tell you what it is? Look, are you going to play? Can you guess what it is that I'm describing, or not? Well, yes. 
but I should probably tell you what the answer is, or the other listeners might be left dangling over the pan. No? No. Well, just to be on the safe side, the biggest clue was that it rhymes with shoe, because it's a big smelly per- Dear Lord, never in all my years have I been so glad for the general absence of listeners on this show. Oh, well, Mabel, I think that game has come to its inevitable brown and sticky end. You'll have to put your thinking beret on again and squeeze something else out instead. And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week, we continue the epic drama from Tales of New Albion, Volume 2. Part 2 of Ear Moo Bee by Darren Callow. long do we have until they get here? Babbled Lushthorpe as he busied himself with a control panel that Sneer had deemed safe enough for him to be let loose on. The Martians or the caravan? asked Ellen, who had just arrived with two of their five intact spacesuits and Mrs. Tickle in tow. Either. Any. Smeggerton seems to think the Martians will be on us in twenty minutes, uh, judging by their approach. The caravan may beat them by a head. But Lushlop didn't seem to hear, as Sneer called him over to one of the telescopes to explain something arcane. So instead she looked over the array of alien equipment, and it seemed, as Sneer had predicted, that all did appear to be in some semblance of working order. At this moment Fitch arrived with the other two human spacesuits and Mrs Tickle's smaller suit, plus a collection of weapons he had acquired from somewhere. Uh, then we really do need to get on with this, he muttered, dumping the load and sitting down to wipe his brow. We need to decide who's going up first. I would suggest we can get two on the transmitter, plus Mrs Tickle, and some armaments. Uh, you and me, then? asked Ellen, pulling out her suit and laying her bronze and glass space helmet on a handy bench. Yeah, well, um, about that, mumbled Fitch, looking slightly abashed. Um, slight problem there, uh, that this thing won't fit into my suit. He nodded his head to his clockwork arm, which chose that moment to try and randomly swat a fly, although none appeared visible. Ah, was all Ellen could think to reply. Um, that's not ideal. I mean, with Mrs Tickle we have someone who can guide us to safety but I was hoping for someone who knew how to handle a gun at my side. Perhaps I can help with that. They all turned as a new figure appeared by the ear moo. The stranger had clearly just arrived from the desert, their heavy cotton fatigues grubby with dust, goggles and a scarf wound over and across their face, caked with sand. 
Fitch, erring on the side of caution, brought up a pistol and motioned approximately with his metal arm for Ellen to stay back. And who might you be exactly? He growled. The newcomer reached up and lifted the goggles so a pair of green eyes set in dark skin with grimy rings around them were visible. Oh, I know those eyes, exclaimed Ellen, pushing past Fitch and moving to hug the stranger. Cleanta! And indeed it was her. After a brief hug as time was pressing, Ellen introduced the king's agent to Fitch, with whom she managed to shake hands after only three attempts, a new record for the mechanical arm and the others. Introductions made, she moved forward to look over the ear moo, which, although seemingly ready, was clearly causing Sneer some issues. Missing something? inquired Cleanta, as Lushthorpe also took a break to shake her hand. It was Sneer that replied, Nee, we appear to be one thermogrommetide compostulator short of a Martian light elevator. With this, Cleanta reached into her canvas bag and brought out a shining object that resembled a small diode valve. Sneer reached out a bony hand to take it without any ceremony, although he was heard to mutter a barely audible, thanks, under his breath. Ah, the family heirloom, winked Ellen to Cleanta, as Sneer slunk over to a silver-fronted cabinet with a triple-tined handle, snapped it open and carefully inserted the object into a slot that seemed a perfect fit. Something like that, winked Cleanta back. With this, Ellen's heart skipped a beat as the circular disc at the heart of the machine suddenly lit up with a pearlescent glow and a small cloud of steam wafted out of one of the brass tubes connected to the ancillary equipment. Sneer rubbed his hands with what could have quite easily been glee. She is ready, he announced in his gratingly morose tones. However, there was no time for any celebration, as without any warning an arcing line of blue fire howled over their heads and sliced through one of the uh, fake, disused gantries, bringing it crashing down amongst the figures bustling about the fort. Returning gunfire was heard almost immediately, but Fitch spoke first to keep everybody focused on the task in hand. Uh, we are already in range of the Martian heat rays. Suit up. You need to go. There was an edge of anxiety in his voice that Ellen had not heard before in any of their previous adventures. Oh, Sir Grenville, help Mrs Tickle into her suit, and this young lady into Carl Shulton's. Lushthorpe moved with alacrity to assist, and even Sneer slunk over to see if he could help. Fitch turned to assist Ellen, who was already moving nimbly to don her heavy-duty cotton and leather suit. At the very last moment, she saw Fitch's picture book and decided she'd rather have it than not, so stuffed it into the front of her suit, before fastening it tightly. 
It wasn't long before they were ready, as more gunfire was heard, and with a roar, Belestranka's quadplane roared overhead, moving towards the Martian threat. You must take the plasma rifle, muttered Fitch, as he glanced in all directions, trying to understand how great the threat was from the approaching tripods. Ellen held her gauntleted hands up, clearly refusing the proffered weapon. No, your need is greater. T take out the tripods and keep the ear moo safe. We'll need you to join us when you can. Behind them there went up a great cacophony of whooping, and the pirate queen and her motley gang could be seen in full war paint, mounting their iron horses and preparing to ride out. Oh, they're a brave bunch. Ellen brought her hands back down. But they need your help here first. There was a series of pops from near the watchtower as Smegaton's desert geckos took this moment to open fire with some small cast-iron mortars. Oh, you'll need me more, I think, growled Fitch, but he seemed to concede her point. Oh, indeed I will. Uh, get Lushthorpe to modify your suit with the arm on the outside, uh, and then you'll be a great asset. Until then, um, uh, hold the fort. <laughs> Literally. With what was almost a shout from a sneer, it seemed the time for departure had arrived. Fitch, though, was not a man of goodbyes. He assisted Ellen with attaching her dome-shaped helmet and then tapped on it twice with his index finger on the glass. Keep your eyes open and don't forget to duck, was all he could think of to say. Ellen laughed, steaming up the inside of her helmet briefly. As it cleared, she gave him a big smile. Give the Martians hell, she said by way of benediction. And with that, Fitch nodded and turned to head to the fort wall as all around great crashes of explosions and cannon fire rent the air. Ellen briefly wondered if she would ever see him again, but there was no time to dwell on this thought as Cleanta caught her arm and thrust a large pistol into her hand. No idea why they have these here or how Fitch found them crackled Cleanta's dusky voice through the helmet intercom. But these guns are designed for use with snow gloves, so we can use them with our gauntlets. Ellen took the pistol awkwardly, and, gathering up Mrs. Tickle III in her dinky spacesuit, she followed Cleanta between a couple of brass pipes, coughing steam and sparks in equal measure, onto the small, glowing disc. Her breathing was quickening by the second and fogging up her helmet. But through billowing clouds of smoke, she could make out Sneer and Lushthorpe, taking turns looking through telescopes and adjusting baroque-looking instruments. She tried to calm herself as best she could as she felt the cat fidget in her arms. There was another flash of eerie blue light and more pops from the mortars, which sounded even more distant now she had her helmet on. There was a radio system between her and Cleanta, and, cleverly, Lushthorpe had also taken the system from his suit so he could talk to them. Um, Sneer tells me to tell you that we're close to being ready to initiate transit, came Lushthorpe's voice into her headset. But Ellen felt like she was outside her body somewhere looking in, and the voice seemed oddly distant. Mrs Tickle was still now, 
as was Cleanta, just a foot or so away from her. The light from the cannon and heat ray fire flickering off her brass helmet and segmented glass vision panels. She seemed to be saying something, but Ellen didn't hear it. Um, optimum operating temperature approaches, came Lushthorpe's voice crackling in her earpiece. But the words sounded as alien as the glow from the circular floor beneath her. A colossal explosion suddenly came from somewhere behind Ellen, and the force of it nearly knocked her over. Fortunately, Cleante reacted quickly and held them all upright. A great blanket of dust and sand passed over the ear moo, lit from below by the pearlescent light of the floor disk, which now seemed to be brighter than ever. Without any other warning, it also started to heat up, and Ellen felt her body temperature rapidly rising to dangerous levels. Sweat was starting to pour down her face, and despite her usual calm nature, she realised she was starting to panic. Mrs Tickle also twisted in her arms, and she had to struggle to hang on to her. Cleanta's arms were there, but neither of them seemed to be totally stable. The obscuring cloud cleared briefly, and she saw a sneer, his rat-like features glaring oddly at them, his hands raised and giving a cheesy double thumbs up. Ellen wanted to scream, but her throat felt dry and the sound was stuck in her mouth. The intercom crackled again, but she didn't hear anyone speak. Perhaps this was all a bad idea. Perhaps someone else should go. Another cloud of smoke enveloped them. The intercom crackled again, but this time a voice Ellen did not recognise intoned blandly. Did you know that light is both a particle and a wave? The floor glowed bright, intense white and became so hot that it was uncomfortable beyond anything Ellen had ever felt. Oh, so is this how it ends, she thought, sautéed to death on a Martian griddle. The heat continued to rise and the light from the floor grew so intense that even with her eyes screwed shut, all she could see was brilliant white. Just as she felt resigned to death, everything changed. It went from the hottest she'd ever felt to the coldest. From the brightest light to the darkest dark. She shivered hard and was relieved to feel that she was still holding Mrs Tickle, or whatever was left of her. She opened her eyes. The machinery was the same. Mrs Tickle was in her arms. Cleanta was stood a foot away from her, but everything else was different. The sky was jet black. The landscape, a crater-covered visage, was a grey, powdery juxtaposition to the brass and gold artefacts of the Martian machinery around her. There was no other conclusion to come to. They were on the moon. Ah, well now, 
Following the listener calling in earlier, the controller here at ARC has asked me to apologise in case anyone heard the mildly offensive word that was semi-broadcast. It seems that listeners calling in is off the cards for a little while until a full review can be carried out. To be honest, I'm relieving myself. Uh, I mean, I am myself relieved. But hopefully that gentleman wasn't representative of our listeners in general, Uh, although I'm not entirely hopeful of that. Anyway, that's all we have for you today. So there's just time for me to say, good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a bright future. Created by and copyright to Darren Callow. All the music was composed and played by Charlotte Savigar. For more information about Tales of New Albion, please go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production, Albion Radiophonic 